Deep in God's Word is a Bible study for women. Each month, your host, Cindy Colley, will discuss the study highlights and answer some of your questions. You can find more information about the Digging Deep Bible Study at thecolleyhouse.org. Now let's grab our shovels and dig into the meat of God's Word. Good evening and welcome to the very first edition of the audio podcast for Digging Deep in the year 2018. Wow, can you believe that here we are? Yes, it's 2018. I didn't think about that. It's the first podcast first of the year. One. Yes, and we are very happy that Pisa has joined us tonight. We'll say a little bit more about that later. First off, though, I really want to express gratitude for our family for the many, many ways that you have encouraged us in recent weeks during the sickness and the passing of our father. We, uh, on December 5th, in the early hours of the morning, uh, were able to celebrate, really, as he left this earth for a better place, an infinitely better place. And 95 years of life on this earth, most of which, of course, was adult life, walking with God, for children, being married to a faithful, godly woman, and leaving um, a, a legacy. I just really don't know how we could be more blessed. We are very, very thankful to God for what He's done, even in this, even in this passing. But I am grateful to the ladies all over this country and really all over the world who have prayed, who have encouraged, who have sent cards, who have just strengthened me in so many ways. You know, Pisa, you know what this is like when you have a godly parent to leave. You have so much to be thankful for, and yet if you have a godly parent to leave, you are close to that parent, and so that absence is very difficult and and is very uh, strongly felt, especially if you've had a long time as a caregiver. It hurts a lot, and I am just so very thankful for those of you who, um, you know, had eloquent things that I wanted to say to you, but, but this is just my heart. Thank you for the way that you have understood and been patient with me and encouraged me in so many ways. And then, over the holidays, my sweet daughter-in-law gave to me a family portrait. I was really excited about this portrait. We went out to the cabin to have this picture made, and we did all different kinds of poses and, you know, getting Ezra and Colleyanna all set for that. And and still, and looking at the camera's a big thing. We were all into that, and all of a sudden, Caleb just calmly says, and by the way, we're going to have a baby. And Leah was there taking those pictures, and I mean, she caught it frame by frame. And if you haven't looked at Facebook today, go look at mine, because you need to look at Glenn's face, don't you think? I mean, his face was priceless. And I thought about our great God and how magnificent he is in every way but to us to give us new life at a time when we were grieving the passing of 
of old and faithful life is just um, overwhelming in his goodness and and we are thankful for that and we would ask you to to pray for the safe arrival of that baby and Pisa's family is having a baby too and this little we're I don't know this little girl (laughs) I won't say that but her brother Abraham is and and Diana are having a baby that is due baby number five July the 21st 21st and ours is due July the 20th so we may be racing (laughs) for this and you know whatever Whatever I have, you need to have the other right. so they can just grow up and know each other. And boy, we could have a, a real spiritual legacy here going on. But we're excited for them, and we'll yes. keep you posted on both of those and if you can keep those in your prayers. Next, before we pray, I wanted to mention that Pisa is here, and she is one of my dearest sisters on the face of the earth. We, we have history together. We first met in Honolulu, and now they are part of our West Huntsville family. And uh, I can't, I can't even put into words how much your family <laughs> means to the Collies. And we are very thankful that you are here and part of our family. And we get to travel together. I think you're actually leaving Saturday. Saturday. We're leaving Friday. We will end up together in Honolulu on our way to American, I'm going to say it right, American Samoa. And that is your homeland. Yes. And that is where Peace's father worked as a, a native missionary for how many years? A lot of years. Over 30 years. And that church that he established, and maybe more than one on the island, or he had he to helped. do with right. establishing more than one on the island, but but this one is where he was the minister and an elder. Right. And we are going there. That'll be our, I guess, our station while yes. we're there. But other churches will cooperate. Yes. Right. And we are going to be talking about family. And uh, Glenn will be preaching in Honolulu on this coming Sunday, and then we'll be doing a workshop in Samoa uh, the following, I guess, through the middle of the week and toward the end of the week, and we'll we'll be gone about ten days, I think. Yes. And we would really covet your prayers for that work. I think the church there, since Peace's father's death, has struggled, perhaps, with, um, I don't want to overstate the case, but I think they've struggled with leadership and with um, continuing on in the the path that he had so vigilantly worked for. And so we want to go and do our best to just uh, boost shot in the arm, and we are prayerful that... God will give us receptive hearts, um, and I know that the people have to be receptive themselves, right. but we want to pray for our wisdom, that we will say exactly those things that need to be said, that will strengthen that body the very most, and that eternity will be impacted because of our going. Right. We're, we're praying for that, not because it's us, but because God can do all things, and right. we can do all things through Christ. Right. So we're going to... We're going to ask you to remember that in your prayers. And before we go uh, into our study on repentance, we're going to ask Peace to lead a prayer. Okay, let us pray. Holy Father, our God, our King, our Creator, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together as sisters to study your word. Thank you for the Digging Deep study, Father, and that help us to... 
um, study your word in depth and to come to have a closer relationship with you, a more meaningful relationship. Thank you, Father, for all the sisters who are watching and following along and those who will be watching later, who will be doing the studying. Just eager, Father, to grow and to learn more um, of your will, Holy Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus, Father, your, our, our Savior, who suffered and died on the cross, Father, and he was perfect and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, Father. Thank you for your plan of salvation, Lord, and thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us. Thank you for always providing an escape route for us, Father, when we are tempted and when we feel that we are lost. <coughs> thank you, Father, for the scriptures, the holy scriptures that help to direct us. Thank you, Father, for all the sisters who are encouraging us, and thank you, Father, for Cindy and um, all the preparation that she put in for this study. Holy Father, um, as we dive into this study, we we ask, Father, that you please um, help us to have the wisdom and knowledge to glean from your word, to share your word. Um, help us, Father, to have receptive hearts, help us dear Lord, to have a penitent heart to, as we study about repentance, Father, that we, we truly repent. Whatever our struggles are, whatever the sin or sins that is enslaving us, Father, that we would have the courage to overcome through your word and through your love and through your power, Father. Lord, we are sinners and we ask for forgiveness. We ask for your mercy and your grace. And also, Father, um, as we prepare to depart later this week, Father, for a mission trip, we pray that you please bless and be with us. Use us, Father, for your kingdom. And perhaps uh, recruit more sisters to dig deep in your word, Holy Father. And um, those who... Um, are expecting part of uh, Cindy's family and our family and to bless and be with their pregnancy and those who are at home sick with the flu, Lord. Holy Father, thank you so much for the avenue of prayer. This is our prayer, Holy Father, through the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to dig right in. We're going to be talking about repentance. Uh, there are some questions in the beginning of the the chapter that we're studying tonight that have to do with um, overall concepts of repentance. I hope we get time to come back and talk about some of those, but definitely they'll be incorporated into some of our discussion. We're going to go quickly to Abimelech in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to discuss a little Genesis. bit. Genesis. Genesis 20. Genesis chapter 20. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, thank you, Pisa. We're going to talk a little bit about sins of ignorance. Uh, someone kind of corrected me about this, and, and I appreciate that, that Abimelech really was guarded from sinning, and God kind of says that in Genesis chapter 20. What happened was Abraham and Sarah did a not smart thing and deceived him, and uh, this was one of two times right. that they uh, pretended that Sarah was simply his sister, sister. when he was really his half-sister and wife. Right. And so um, in this chapter then, Abimelech is 
maybe not sinning, but he is pursuing someone else's wife. And God is going to keep him from the overt sin of the adultery. But, but still, I would say, sin is involved, and even in ignorance here, when you are in a situation where you're pursuing someone else's wife. So God's going to make him not be ignorant about that by, how did he do that? Um, through a dream. Through a and dream. A dream. Right. And um, why, why did God give this dream to Abimelech? I think the reasons were probably at least twofold. He did it to... Uh, to warn him. Keep, like a, mm-hmm, to keep him, keep him from, from committing that adultery. And then to purify his own people. Right. It would not have been good after God is making this promise to Abraham and Sarah that through their seed all nations will be blessed. Imagine Sarah being pregnant by Abimelech. Right. That would not have been a good thing. And so um, he did it to rescue Abimelech from sin and to purify his people, which is reminiscent to me of God's dealing with his people today, his, his church, his spiritual Israel today in 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3, as we're going to talk about later, when he commands us to withdraw ourselves from that person, there were two reasons for that. Right. One was to keep that person out of sin, to try to urge repentance on the part of that person. The second was to keep his people pure. pure. So we have those that same twofold reason in the spiritual Israel today for God's intervention when sin is being committed. So turn, if you will, Pisa, while, while I'm talking about repentance as far as its rescue from ignorant sin, to Psalm 19, verse 13. Psalm 19, verse 13. And while she's turning there, if you are keeping a, t- let's, let's make a title of repentance for every question in this lesson. This one would be repentance rescues. Repentance rescues. So God here is rescuing Abimelech, rescuing Abraham through prompting Abimelech to repent of ignorant sin. So repentance rescues us from sins of ignorance uh, when we are confronted and have that opportunity to repent. So Psalm 19, verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Presumptuous sin is the opposite of sin of ignorance. Presuming is when I know God's will and I decide that I'm going to violate his will and I'm at least for a time okay with that. That's presumptuous sin. And I wanted to draw a delineation, a delineating mark between sins of ignorance, things that we don't know. And I ask you to um, give us an example of a sin of ignorance in, in your personal life. And I gave one last night. In our okay. class that I did, I, I was playing word with, words with friends one time, and I was win- winning. I'd put down this word, and I was so excited about my word, and I'd never heard of this word. And my husband looked over there, and he said, why are you putting profane words on that game? And I said, I am? He said, what do you think you're writing? And I said, well, I think I put those letters together, and it said it was a word, and so it's worth 50 points. And he said, you need to get that off right now, and you need to tell whoever that is that you're playing with. And it was some strange man that I didn't even know. It was somebody the computer hooked me up with. And I don't play words with friends very much anymore, and maybe this is one of the reasons why. But 
Anyway, uh, that was the sin of ignorance on my part, and uh, that's a small example, but I needed to fix that still because it could hurt my influence, right. Right. and it could damage um, e- e- my example to my children, or e- e- sins of ignorance are still sins. Now, make the comparison for me, Pisa, the legal comparison. What about the law? Um, I think you also mentioned this last night and in your dig a bit <coughs> podcast about um, driving, let's say, 60 miles per hour, but you didn't see the sign that it's actually um, a 45 mile per hour zone and you get a ticket. So he won't give me a ticket, will he? <laughs> no, you will get a ticket. And actually, that happened to my brother, Abraham. He did get a ticket and it was dark and he couldn't read the signs and he was going at 60 in a 45 mile per hour zone and he had to pay like close to $200. Now, sometimes there might the be ticket. some mercy, but <laughs> right. it is still the law whether you know it is the law right. or not. And so... Uh, that's the way spiritual, you know, this thing about um, God will accept my offering, my worship, my lifestyle, my um, ideology. God will accept that if my heart is right. If my heart is right, God, that is hogwash because that, that doesn't apply in any other area right. of life. And whenever there is truth, and this is truth, then that does not apply. I think about scientific truth. You know, if I got up in the middle of the night and stumbled into the bathroom and inadvertently took rat poison, I'm going to get sick. But no, I'm not. I thought it was Tylenol. I'm not going to get, I'm going to get sick. Because even wherever there's truth, absolute truth, then a violation of truth has consequences and they don't change with what's inside of my heart because because it's not relative it's not subjective it is objective truth that does not change and consequences don't change then so that's important for us to see as we talk about Abimelech. Do we have anything, any comments so far? Not yet. Okay. Let's talk about Rahab for just a minute. And we would be going to the book of Joshua. And we really would talk, talk from Joshua 1 and 2 and then maybe some in, in chapter 7. But what did Rahab have to repent of? Let's just go ahead and dig in and... And talk about that. What do you think she had to repent of? Um, well, she was a <coughs> harlot um, in Jericho, which was also an idolatrous nation, worshiping false mm-hmm. gods and So we, so we would say that at least harlotry and, and idolatry. idolatry. Right. And maybe some deceit. We saw some deceit there, too. True, true. So um, she, she needed to repent of a lifestyle that was opposed to God's will. And in the repentance, there were certain qualifications that had to be met. And you'll remember from Scripture that those were that she could, she would utter none of their business. Right. She wouldn't tell. The spies came. She hid them. 
Then when the men of Jericho came looking for the spies, she's, she, they were hidden on her roof, and she said they'd already left. And so she saved the spies' life. But she had, before they came, heard of the power of God. Right. Because she went ahead to say that she had developed this faith, and she had seen what the nation of Israel had done to other nations right. around about them and how that God was protecting them. And so she had developed faith, and her faith was a working faith. Because they said, here's what you have to do. And okay. it's not utter our business is get the scarlet thread and hang it in your window. It's get everybody who's in your family right. inside your house. It's don't leave the house right. until we show up. And and she kept every to every the T. She kept them, every single one of them. And so in her repentance, though, and this is what I wanted to point out here, was a relocation. So if you're keeping... Uh, notes here, the title for Rahab would be Repentance Relocates. Repentance Relocates. It relocates for us. God moves us when we repent and faithfully then obey, as did Rahab. He moves us. Where does he move us? He moves us, well, I'd say from the world into and that's right. He <laughs> translates us or conveys us or moves us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And last night, uh, Miss Carol pointed out that Colossians 1.13 says that in an extremely clear way. And if you'll turn there and read Colossians 1.13, I absolutely agree with her. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Go ahead with 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. So repentance for us means relocation from the kingdom of darkness, a conveyance into the Son of His love or the kingdom of His dear Son. Now then you were supposed to look in your New Testament at passages that mention Rahab, and the first one, of course, is in the genealogy of Christ, which is very amazing that right. we have a harlot who was involved in idolatry, and she uh, likely, historians tell us, married one of those spies <laughs> who was hidden on a rooftop. Maybe not, but it's the same name as right. one of them. And so she married an Israelite, and she, as a woman of Jericho, a woman of ill repute, became one of the ancestors, listed ancestors in the genealogy of Christ. And we read about that in Matthew. I believe that's in Matthew chapter 1, one right? verse 5. Okay. And then we read about her in two other places. Hebrews 11, verse, verse 31. Three. Is that what 31, you yes. Yeah, 11, okay. 31. You look up Hebrews, and I'll look up James, because I think it's interesting that and you ladies probably wrote this down too. But I think it's very interesting that she is both commended for faith and for works. So let's read about faith, Hebrews 11. Um, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Okay, she got, it goes ahead and tells us. In Hebrews 11.31, that she did something. Right. She had Not only did she believe, but she did something. She hid those spies. 
And then in James 2, verse 25, she is commended for those works. James 2, verse 25 says, likewise also. Well, let's look at 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not just by faith only. Likewise also, wasn't Rahab the harlot justified by works? When she had received the messengers and sent them out another way, just like the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So Rahab is one of those people who in two different passages, she's in a faith passage and she's in a works passage, and it says clearly that both of those things justified her. So that is very interesting about Rahab. So repentance relocates. It relocated her from Jericho to the kingdom of Israel. It relocates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Do we have comments first? Um, This is a (coughs) Facebook Live comment from Teresa. Uh, Do we ask forgiveness for someone else when we pray even though they have to repent themselves? And I think you may be covering this a a little bit later. Um, We may talk about this a little bit later, but let's go ahead and say this. We can pray for the tenderness of heart, for providential occurrences that will help hearts be tender, realizing, especially this is difficult in our own families, realizing that those situations that might prompt repentance are sometimes the most difficult, painful, physical. Um, Sometimes they are um, financial losses. Sometimes they are crippling diseases. Sometimes the things that might make us repent are very difficult. And so we should realize that as we pray for spaces of repentance for people, that sometimes we might be praying for difficult situations in their lives. We can pray for those. We can pray that lives might be spared so that there would be time for repentance. But we cannot pray for a forgiveness that God has not offered because people cannot be forgiven and be in opposition to the will of God. And we will get a little bit more to that, but the answer is no. It would be wrong for me to pray that God would forgive someone in their sins because if God can forgive someone in sin, Calvary was a colossal mistake. And obviously, that sacrifice that Jesus made is the only way that I can have forgiveness. There is no remission without the blood, the Hebrews writer clearly says. And so if I attempt in some way for myself or for another to beg for forgiveness, circumventing that blood, then that's a slap in the face of God as he gave his own son for us. Okay, we'll get to that a little bit more. I have another comment from uh, Stephanie. The relocation of Rahab reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And that is through the blood. Right. As, and, and that's very much on topic, and that's right. We can be over here, and the way that we get over here to sanctification, justification, redemption, wash, is through the washing, which is submission to God and the cleansing that comes through his blood. Very good. All right, 1 Samuel 7. And if you're making titles, your your title for this one would be Repentance Requires Sacrifice. Repentance Requires Sacrifice. 
It's almost 100% of the time, if not 100, it is 100% of the time. That's what repentance is, it's deciding that I'm not going to follow my right. own will or the will of the world or the will of the devil anymore. I'm going to make an about face and submit to God's will and follow him. So it is denying self. And I'll go ahead and say that Matthew 16, 24, along with Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23 are all gospel passages that tell us that if we're going to take up our cross and follow Christ, we have to first deny self. So repentance requires sacrifice. Let's talk about that in 1 Samuel 7, just for a minute. Who is in 1 Samuel 7? What is that prophet? Um, Jehu. Am no, I in no, we're in, am I in the wrong one? We're, we in, we're in... still in the time of Samuel. Oh, Samuel. Okay. Right? We're still in the time of Samuel, 1 Samuel um, This is about 7. the ark that yes, was in Kirjath-Jerim for yeah, about you 20 know. years. Right. And, um, and it, while that ark was there... Um, the house of Israel was sad, but they weren't being obedient because in chapter three, in verse three, Samuel says, if you return to the Lord and put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts to the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And in verse four, they did. The children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And then they gathered to Mizpah, verse 6. They fasted. They confessed their sins. And the Philistines heard that they were gathered together, and so they're on the attack. Right. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, please don't stop crying to God right. for us. And Samuel, when they asked Samuel to cry for him, instead of, he did pray for them, but in the midst of that crying out, he took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy burnt, to the Lord. And then he cried to the Lord. And so the Philistines came while he was offering that sacrifice. And the Lord thundered with a great thunder. And they lost that right. battle because they became afraid. So what is the significance here of the sacrifice? What do you think is the significance? Um, the heart behind the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. a, a penitent heart behind the sacrifice. But the sacrifice was necessary. But it was necessary. Because this is the prophet of God who's saying this is necessary. Right. So it is the heart that is behind the sacrifice. It is the heart that says we are going to deny ourselves and stop living as we as if we think we're smarter than God. And that's what they were doing. They were make when you when you make an idol out of wood or metal or whatever, what you're really doing is saying, I'm in charge. And so these people had to stop saying we're smarter than God and say we are totally dependent on God. Jehovah. And that's what that sacrifice meant. So when we think about repentance requiring sacrifice, um, I love Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. If you'll turn to Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. This is a passage about grace, but it's also a passage about Denial. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Okay, I love that because it says grace. But wait a minute. Isn't we grace just God looking down on me and saying, I'm going to just cover you and your sin and I'm going to take you just the way you are, 
and I'm just going to cover you with my grace. That's how the world views grace. But right here, grace teaches something. And what grace teaches is a denial of ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's what repentance is. Grace lets us repent. Grace lets us turn away from following this world or our idea of what is right and says, you know, it really doesn't matter what the society around me is saying, what the uh, narrative of the politically correct is. It doesn't really, none of that really matters. What matters is, what does Jehovah say? And I'm going to totally submit to his will, even if it goes counter to the culture in which I live. And that's what the people of Israel did in um, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Repentant choirs sacrifice. We have comments about that, or do you have a comment about that? Nope, you covered it well. Thank you. Let's go to Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles. Chronicles. I believe we're chapters 18 to 20 there. And if you're keeping a list here, this one would be a return from repentance. So we're going to have a man in Second uh, Chronicles here, King Jehoshaphat, who is doing evil. He decides to change and do what is good at the behest of a prophet of God. And then by the end of the chapter, the end of his life, he has turned back again and and is in need of a second repentance. So Jehoshaphat, he um, made league with the kings of Israel. What's wrong with that? Um, they were not faithful to God. They were uh, worshiping, um, I guess, the... Baal, um, idolatry. King Jehoshaphat is from Judah. And how how many good kings of Israel were there ever? zippity doo dah (laughs) There were none ever in Israel who were good. And so we've got this king of Judah who has turned and made a league, a union with, Ahab. Now, if you look at Ahab, and there's a description of him in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says he was the most wicked king up to, to that date. To date, he was the most, he did, did more wickedly than any of the other kings of Israel. When you really look back at those kings, you had to be pretty wicked to top them. And so this is how Ahab was living. We know him from Naboth's vineyard. We know him from Jezebel. And this is who Jehoshaphat was looking for to make a a union with. So wrong. And then Jehu is a catalyst here for his repentance because Jehu has a message for him in 19 verse 2. Read that message for us. And Jehu, the son (coughs) of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. I love that. That's just a very simple question. Should Should you you make a league with those people who hate the Lord? Should you love the wicked and and be accepting of those people who hate the Lord? You know, that that is um, interesting because when you read Romans chapter 1, for instance, at the bottom of that chapter, um, there are some horrible sins listed, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, and it says that um, that 
those things are reprobate before God and that the people who commit those things are worthy of death. But that's not all it says. It says those who commit those things and those who take pleasure in or approve or take... Um, exactly what word does it use there? I think um, the King James... And we probably are going to have two versions here, so that's even better. Romans 1, verse 31, I, I think it says, Have pleasure in those who do them. Consent with those, or have pleasure in those who do them. Who know the knowing the judgment of God, the sins are listed in verses 29 to 31. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. But not only those who do the same, but those who have pleasure or consent with them that do them. What does yours say? Approve. Approve of those who practice them. Hello. Here we have Jehu's words, really. Jehu's going before Jehoshaphat and saying, you can't even make a league. You cannot approve of those who are hating God. We have that same admonition in Romans chapter 1. And how hard is that in, in this world in which we live to not make league with those who make fun of God, those who blaspheme God, those who... Um, uh, condone uh, sexual sin, those who are dishonest. How hard is it for us to not be approving of that? It's pretty hard. It is. And because of um, the smallness of the world through the Internet, through the media of television that we have, it's really hard for us to not be inundated with the narrative that the world has that I'm okay, you're okay, and we should never be condemning of one another. We should judge not that you be not judged. The most popular right. Bible verse, which has nothing to do with approving of that which is evil. And so it's very important for us to take a lesson from Jehu here and be able as Christians to say, how dare we as the people of God be approving of or making league with those who hate God? I think we need to really be careful about our heroes. Um, you know, I hesitate to even bring this up. I love Alabama football, but last night there was one of those players who said something horrible to a, to the president of our United States, and no matter what you think about the president of our United States and his ideology or his his ideas regarding politics, you know, I I was appalled by the language of that football player, and I hoped that he didn't get to play. And I, I even said to Glenn, you know, they don't deserve to win because uh, – and, you know, it's I, – I don't want to be, no matter that I'm a football fan, I don't want to – I don't want anybody to think that I approve of, right. of such as that. And we have to be careful as Christians – that we don't go, and I'm going to say it the way the King James Version would say, a whoring after those who blatantly offend God. If they offend God, it should offend right. us as his people. And that's what Jehu's message was to Jehoshaphat. Okay, his rebuke is in 19 verse 2. And then if we go down to um, the middle of chapter 19, we find various ways that Jehoshaphat showed that he had repented. What are some of those ways? Um, 
Is this the one where they um, fasted? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I think I'm in there. No, it is not. Um, there, were some, there were some passages there that definitely showed that he did in the middle of chapter 19 that he repented. And who knows what those verses are and why am I not even in the right chapter? Jehu's rebuke is in 19, 19 verse 2. And, and then, then you read reforms. on down, and he did some important um, some important things for Judah. And that's he not, said, judge us in the land. Um, it's really in verse tw in chapter 20, I think, where, um, look at verse 6. And Jehoshaphat stood there and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants? Look at that heart. Right. I mean, he is standing in front of all of Israel. And verse 3, he feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord, and he did proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. That's what you had mentioned before. And so we go all the way through chapter 20, and we find that um, because of his, he appointed, wow, he appointed singers to the Lord. He... Um, Verse 30, well, 29, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the Lord's delivering him because they've turned their hearts. The realm of Jehoshaphat, verse 30, was quiet for God gave him rest. And he was 35, and he walked, verse 32, in the way of Asa his father and did not depart from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord except for, verse 33, the high places weren't taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts to the God of their fathers. And then it goes ahead and mentions the rest of the Acts. And then the, very, the tragic verse is 35. Go ahead and read 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. Yeah, he made ships to go to Tarshish and... Um, the ships were broken, verse 37, because the Lord broke them and, uh, so that they weren't able to go to Tarshish. So I think that that, um, I've said this before, but that's very interesting too because um, here this is um, also the route that Jonah took to go to mm -hmm. Tarshish. Remember, he and his ship got broken too. Right. So I thought that was, I think that's just an interesting coincidence. But what we have here is uh, Jehoshaphat really doing a lot of good things in Israel during the time of his repentance, but ending his life by making the same league with the same, same country and a, a king that was just as wicked as Ahab. He did not learn permanently his lesson. So are there New Testament examples of, of a warning or of an example of people who come, come out of the world, who leave behind uh, 
the evil who are the first corinthians 6 9 to 11 that we talked about well a while ago and such were some of you but you've been washed sanctified justified are there examples of those people who turn yet again and tragically after they have tasted what it's like to be a christian they turn back and walk away from that are, are there examples um the one i put down um was in acts 8 uh, 13 to 24 that Simon uh, the sorcerer's sin he had believed and uh, accepted the gospel but then he wanted to purchase um, the power to perform miracles to and, pass along the gift of miracles right. and repent if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you right. so he had just repented of a life of sin right. and now he's called upon for a second repentance right. so that's a great example another one that we might think about are the churches in revelation and, and they are one of the questions and so we'll talk about those a little bit later but those were people who were in churches that belonged to the lord and yet the lord said repent and do the first works or repent and return to your first love or repent right. and cast out that jezebel or your candle's going to be taken away those churches and i'm I'm speaking in um, detailed terms of a lot of churches with the, and a lot of different verbiage was used by the Holy Spirit there. But we're talking about churches of people who had been converted and were right. walking away from, in various ways, the, um, the first repentance and were in need of repentance again. I think about, if you'll turn to 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, and read verses 20 to 22, and then we will move to Ezra. Second Peter 2, 20 to 22. Yes. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and is so having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Yeah, this is just really graphic characterization of people who, I love the word there, escape. They have mm -hmm. escaped through repentance, through obedience. They have escaped the pollution of the world and yet they turn back to go into that very thing that they've escaped. So, do we have comments yes. thus far? Yes, we okay. do. Um, we have several. Let's see here. Um, we had a comment from Tanya, and I think this was about the um, previous one in 1 Samuel 7. Um, this question to me so ties to the first month, repentance by the blood, about that sacrifice, um, especially with Hebrews 9 and 10. Uh, Stephanie, Very good. Uh, if we want to be in fellowship with God, we cannot be in fellowship with darkness, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Um, Maria um, quotes uh, Isaiah 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Uh, Victoria, we all have the responsibility to be a Jehu in the lives of our brothers and sisters that have fallen into sin and are in danger of it. When we see sin and stay silent, we're just as guilty. And uh, she mentions James chapter 4, verse 17. And Galatians 6, 1. And if a man's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such an one. Okay. Uh, we have a comment on Facebook from Janice. Uh, 
I appreciate your good stand you take and stand for God. Keep up the great work. Uh, Erica, at the end of Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, he says, Neither uh, know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Sometimes at our lowest, all we know to do is look to God, uh, which is where we should always be looking. Don't you think we should pray that? Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Yes. I, I, I'm going to start praying that more. I don't know what to do, Lord, and there's so many times I don't, but my eyes are on you. Right. Um, Genevieve, uh, I guess one of the uh, examples for the New Testament, she writes uh, Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Good job. Excellent. And uh, Tanya, 2 Peter chapter 2, I have marked and labeled as the biggest loser because truly they are. Oh, Second Peter right. too. She's right. <laughs> she's right. I guess she's coming from that television show, but the losers on that television show are nothing. They have nothing on people who return dogs who return to vomit. Mm. Okay, Ezra, chapter ten. I, I think the question there was, what is the extreme sacrifice that people had to make in Ezra chapter 10 in order to repent? And what was that? Uh, they had to put away, um, separate from their pagan wives and their children. Okay, we could talk for a very long time about if God ever expects that today. I do want us to look at Matthew chapter 19. And the, the Pharisees who were attempting to trap Jesus came to him in verse 3 of chapter 19 with a question, is it lawful for a man to put, his, put away his wife for every cause? And Jesus goes on and talks about the law from the beginning of time. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He continues to talk about why Moses then was, did give a command to give a writing of divorcement and to be able to put away wives in the Old Testament. And Jesus goes on to say, that's not the way that God intended it from the beginning. And he says, I say unto you, verse 9, and this is some very um, clear language, whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her which is put away commits adultery. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, we clearly understand that people must come out of adultery in order to be washed, sanctified, justified, verses 9 to 11. Repentance in, involves stopping sin. So if my marriage is a series of sexual encounters that are adulterous, then I must, it seems stop. to me, stop those sexual encounters. <coughs> Someone might be saying this is very difficult. Tell me what the people in this chapter said about that teaching. In Ezra? No, in Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 10, read verse 10. Oh, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. The people who were listening there, his disciples, not the Pharisees, but the people who were listening said, 
Whoa, Lord, that's a hard teaching. If, if this is the way it is, it's better not to marry at all. It was a shocking teaching. But Jesus is Lord. It is only through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. So whatever it is that his teaching tells us to do, no matter how difficult it is, we must, we cannot circumvent repentance. And repentance is the hardest part of the plan of salvation. Some people get tripped up on confession or baptism. Lots of people get tripped up on baptism. That's not hard. It is hard to take sin in my life, sin that I love, sin that... I'm deeply emotion with which I'm deeply emotionally involved and decide that pleasing Christ is more important to me than anything on this earth. I'm willing to die for the cause. And when I um, look at Matthew 19, I think that it is um, in some ways parallel to Ezra 10, not in all ways, but in some ways it's parallel to Ezra 10. As I think about how very painful the severing would have been in Ezra chapter 10, I realize that God is very, very serious about repentance and about having the heart that says, no matter what it is, God, if you say to do it, I'm going to do it. Right. Oh, do we have comments about yes. that before we move on? Um, comment from Facebook, uh, Joy, Ananias <coughs> and Sapphira turned their hearts away from God, Acts 5, that was from our previous okay, exactly. point. Okay, exactly, I said that last night in class, <laughs> I should have said that. Um, Ashley, uh, could that be an example for those in a marriage in today times that shouldn't be? And, and I think that's what we were, what we were just, discussing. Um, let's move on to Jonah, because we're running out of time quickly. We're going to go a little bit past the hour of 8 just because we started late tonight. When we think about Jonah, um, the question there is, uh, uh, well, let me go ahead and say, um, when we're talking about Ezra, repentance requires extreme measures. If you're taking notes, that would be your title for number 5. Repentance requires extreme measures. Now, Jonah, repentance presents an opportunity for all people. Were the people of Nineveh people of God's chosen? No. No, they were not. They were Assyrians. It was the capital of Assyria. It was um, probably the biggest heathen uh, city in the world, maybe the most powerful heathen city in the world. And here we have Jonah being commanded to go and teach the people of Nineveh God's way and to call on them to repent from extreme wickedness. He doesn't want to go, so he goes to Tarshish, and you know the you know the story. He right. gets thrown overboard and eaten by a big fish, and while he's in the fish, he repents. Right. And so we have Jonah's repentance, and then we have him turning to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And there are some very clear indicators, wonderful indicators, of their repentance. We know from chapter 1, verse 2 that God was calling on them to repent of wickedness. So when they did turn to God, we know that they were repenting of wickedness. wickedness. We know from 3 verse 5 
that they believed God. It tells us that they believed him. From 3 verse 5, we also know that they proclaimed what? A fast. They proclaimed a fast. And what did they wear in verse 5? Sackcloth. And what was that? It was uncomfortable (laughs) fabric that was, um, it was sort of a, a tent that they put on their bodies that represented doing away with materialistic my way and and uh, sometimes it would be accompanied with dirt on the body which meant I am humbling myself lowly before God and these Assyrians put on sackcloth the king left the throne verse 6 and wore sackcloth and verse 7 and 8 who else wore sackcloth and fasted um, the beast and herd yeah. of the land. animals wore sackcloth and repented. I don't think about our dogs and cows and all of that repenting before God. <laughs> Those people were serious if they put their animals in sackcloth. And they turned from evil, verse 10 says. So I'm going to say it real quickly. They repented of wickedness. They believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They wore sackcloth. The king left the throne and wore sackcloth. The beast fasted and wore sackcloth. They turned from evil. Is that repentance? That is, that is works meet for repentance. That's godly sorrow. But then Jonah was the one who needed to repent again. <laughs> and why was that? Um, he wasn't happy that God had, with his mm-hmm. grace, um, showed mercy to mm-hmm. the people. And mm-hmm. I guess pride. And mm-hmm. an older brother in Luke 15. Yes. <laughs> Jonah's the older brother. He says, I'm not, this doesn't make me very happy because, well, you know, and I don't know how the older brother had always felt about the younger brother, but at that point they were enemies. And here Jonah is looking at the Assyrians thinking, but they're the people who are probably going to conquer us in the end. They're our enemies, and God, you're accepting them? He did not, he was not a happy camper, and so thus he did not realize that the opportunity for repentance was an opportunity for all and he's he's in trouble for that by the end of the book. Comments about that? Um, <coughs> uh, comment from Joy. When teaching others the gospel, we must emphasize repentance and counting the cost with specifics, not just generalities. Uh, Teresa, for number five, what did you say repentance required? Repentance uh, requires extreme measures. Repentance requires extreme measures. All right, now because we're almost out of time, I'm going to go ahead and give you um, the last five, I guess it is, uh, titles. For verse seven, for number seven, and I'm not not sure I'm on the right numbers, am I? Okay. Hosea um, is begging the people for repentance. So my title there is begging for repentance. Uh, Go ahead and read for us. Um, chapter 14 in Hosea verses 1 and 2 chapter 14 verses 1 and 2 O Israel return to the Lord your God for you have stumbled because of your iniquity take words with you and return to the Lord say to him take away all iniquity receive us graciously for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips Hosea had done some had, had sacrificed majorly 
to be an example to the people of God. I mean, he had um, had to marry a, a harlot who had left him, and not just once, but he. I mean, he his life had mirrored the way that God's people had committed spiritual adultery against God, and he was hurting. He was the hurting prophet. And, but, but no prophet begs. It may be Jeremiah, but he is like Jeremiah in that, in that they hurt because the people of God had turned from him. And he begs for, you know, he could have been mad, but he begs for their repentance. The entreaties of Hosea are amazingly authentic and real, and you can feel it with him. You can feel him crying. But I want you to notice that if anybody would have been tempted to turn a blind eye to sin, it would have been Hosea. He would have wanted to fix this so badly. But notice that he couldn't turn a blind eye to the sin of the people. He, because it wasn't about him. Right. It was about God's will and speaking for God. We have to, and we had this question, sort of this question earlier this evening. It's very important that we realize that we cannot, the narrative of the world out there is that forgiveness equals moving on and ignoring the fact that someone has wronged you. That's not biblical. That's not the biblical narrative. Right. The biblical narrative is pleading with people who have offended God to make that right in the way that God has prescribed by being cleansed in the blood. And we contact that blood by confession of sin and repentance of it and renewing the covenant through meeting God's terms and obeying through faith. So until those conditions are met, it's not a prideful thing that I hold myself up and say, well, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm begging because I want to forgive you. I want you, Pisa, to have that attitude toward me. Right. If you see that I am in sin, I want you to come to me and beg right. me to return to God. But I don't want you to ignore my sin. Because that doesn't do me any favors for eternity. So that, that is the lesson I want us to learn from Hosea, is that he begged for the repentance of, of the people. So do we have comments about that? Uh, no, but Dana had just asked uh, what question five is labeled. And question five is uh, about Ezra. And again, that's the repentance requires extreme measures. Right. And then we have Hosea begging for repentance, and then we have the prodigal son. And the question there was really uh, what I wanted us to key in on was that he came to himself in the pig pen. And I'm just going to quickly say that this is the mind of repentance. The mind of repentance. And what it means is that he realized his own condition before God and how dire that was. Um, actually, it was in relation to the earthly father, but it's representative for us of realizing that this is dire, this is spiritually and eternally critical, and I am lost without repentance. And then the deceitfulness of sin. He realized that all of that he'd been chasing 
the money, the women, the parties, all that was gone. And that's what sin, we have to come to that realization about sin, that it's deceitful and that it promises an instant heaven and delivers an right. eternal hell. And then we, on the other end, you, you look at the, the negative consequences of sin. He also, in that moment that he came to himself, realized that his servants were at his father's house and they had bread enough and to spare. We have to realize what wonderful blessings God has for us and balance those with the dire, destructive nature of sin and, and come to ourselves, come to spiritual sanity. And that's what the prodigal son did. Do you have comments about that? <coughs> no, but I did want to um, refer, like if people haven't been tuning in to the audio, you do go into some depth about that, about some of the prompters of repentance. Like, um, and one of the things I wrote down, like um, hitting rock bottom is a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe it's through the passing of a loved one, or maybe you have a near-death experience, or... Um, <coughs> You know, maybe uh, someone in your family walks away from a marriage, like, um, and then it just really makes you reevaluate your life, reevaluate where you are uh, spiritually. Because when you're you're down, you you look up to the Father, and it's a it's time to repentance get it together and repent. Right. I love that. Um, okay, very quickly. Um, the thief on the cross, and I would label that the cross of repentance. There, was, there were three crosses there, one of rebellion, the thief that never did repent, the cross of redemption that was the cross of Jesus, and the cross of repentance, which is the thief on the right. cross. Um, I want to quickly say, and I'm going to let you um, close with the comments in a few minutes, but I want to say some things really quickly about the thief on the cross and then close with just a bit about Revelation. We'll skip uh, the First Corinthians 5 since we have talked about that a little bit already in this podcast. The thief on the cross obviously repented. He said, he said to that other thief, look, we're, we're hanging on a cross here, and we deserve to be here. Right. But he did nothing. And when he said that, there was obvious repentance and there was obvious salvation because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right. But there was no washing. There was no baptism. Right. So the world shouts, I want to be saved like the, the thief, thief on the cross. cross. I don't need to be baptized or have my sins washed away because I can be saved like the thief on the cross. So I want to give you some D words that are helpful to me. Obviously... There's a disparity in saying that and in some very clear passages. We cannot make a statement based on a, an account that has little detail that clearly violates really clear passages in the New Testament. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Christ's own words in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and, and is baptized, baptized shall be saved. The, the words of Ananias to Saul in Acts 22, 16, and now why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, 
and maybe the clearest one that um, some people um, some people don't even realize is in the New Testament, but it's very clear. First Peter three twenty one, baptism does also now save us. We can't take a passage about which we know very little, a background about which we know very little, and say, okay, I think I'd like to be, I'd like to be saved in violation to all these clear passages. So first, the first D is disparity. The second D is details are missing. What was that man's name, by the way? You don't know, do you? And what was his wife's name? And where was he from? What did he steal? And what did he steal? <laughs> yeah. And what was his group? Of, we don't know about his past. And we don't know whether or not he had been baptized under the baptism of John. We know he knew something about the kingdom because right. he mentioned it to the Lord there. He knew something about the kingdom. He knew something about Christ. Right. Perhaps he, he was a Jew. We know that. So perhaps he had come in contact with John the Baptist, and maybe he had been baptized for the remission of sins, as John the Baptist did, as was the requirement for salvation right. at the time of John the Baptist. We really don't know that he wasn't baptized, so the details are missing. The next D is dispensation. Which dispensation or law did he live under? The law of Moses. He lived under the law of Moses, the Old Testament law, because the New Testament, the New Covenant, was purchased with the blood of Jesus, with the death of Jesus, which had not been completed. I think about Romans 6, 3, and 4. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into mm -hmm. his death. And then it goes on to say that, we rise in likeness of his resurrection. None of that stuff had happened yet. Right. So if that man was saved, and he was, and if, if you want to be saved like him, you're going to have to be saved without the blood of Jesus right. because he was saved without the blood of Jesus. And then the last one, the last D is deity. Jesus had the power on earth to forgive sins. And we know that right. from Mark chapter 1 and uh, 2, I believe it right. is, where... Um, the paralytic. Yeah, the, the paralytic man was lowered down through the roof of the house, and Jesus said, um, I, I forgive you of your sins. He said, your sins be forgiven you. And the Pharisees were like, oh, no, yeah. he's... He's blaspheming. He's acting like he's God. And then he said, okay, well, which one's easier to say? Maybe I'll just say, rise, take mm -hmm. up your bed, and walk. And he did. Right. And then they didn't have anything to say about that because, obviously, Jesus had the power to do either one. Right. And so he had the power on earth to forgive sins. And when we look, when we look at that passage um, down around verse 10, go ahead and read um, down around verse 10 to 12, I think it is. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Wait a minute. Okay. Power where? On earth. Power on earth. So Jesus had the power while he was on earth to forgive sins. Where, though, has he left that power? 
where has he left that power now? I'm doing something that's really, really hard right now. And today, I thought I was going to lose my lunch when I was on my way to a credit union to close out my father's credit union account. It was so hard for me. But you know what? My father, before his death, he could have given me, if he wanted to, he didn't, but he could have given me all the money in that credit union account. It was his. He could have given it to me if he wanted to. But now, that money is clearly allotted. It's not a lot of money, but it's clearly allotted through something we call a will. A will. That's right. A testament. And we, he went to great pains before he passed from this life to be sure that he expressly wrote down how his will was to be carried out. And since he left me as executor of that will, you better believe that I understand that that's the way he speaks. That's the way he allots. That's the way he talks today. And he does talk through that will. He does, and it will be carried out to the letter because that's my father's, that's the way he speaks today. So how does Jesus speak today? Word. Through this. He doesn't forgive sins on earth anymore as he did uh, there on the cross and in Mark chapter 2, 1 and 2. He, he doesn't forgive sins that way now. But Hebrews 9 clearly tells us how he does it. Turn to Hebrews 9 and read verses 16 and 17. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Go ahead and read 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. It's the blood. That blood had to be shed. Christ had to be dead before this came into effect. And if I want to partake in salvation today, after this will is in effect, I've got to do it like this will says. I can't go back to a time before he died. Just like with my father, I can't go back to a time before he died and say, I I'd like to have this just like you gave me this before you died. It's, it's not how it works. Uh, I, I don't want to be um, trivializing uh, my, my, my dad's wishes for sure. I love him, and he was so good to specifically say what he wanted me to do. And Jesus was so good to specifically tell us what to do so that we can inherit eternal life, inherit through the will, through the testament. Okay, finally, and I'm going to take the comments, um, Revelation 2 and 3. I just think it's very interesting that we have some churches here who had some major flaws. Uh, well, let's go ahead and say for number 10, 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 is a refusal to repent. If you're writing down your titles, that would be a refusal to repent. And then finally, Revelation 2 and 3 would be space to repent, space to repent. Over and over, the Holy Spirit uh, said, uh, repent, 
Repent and do this. Repent and return to your first love. Repent and do the first works. Um, I, I'm, what I want to say, though, about this is really important and comforting to me because there are so many churches who are so fraught, uh, which are so fraught with sin, so much of the world sometimes gets into congregations. And we might say, well, what's a faithful person to do? What's a faithful person to do in a situation where the church is is going astray? Well, when the candlestick's been removed, you wouldn't want to be a part of that congregation. Right. Right. But I think that verses like uh, Revelation 2.24, if you're there, piece of Revelation 2.24, Go ahead and read that when you get there. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. What he's saying here is, look, there was a Jezebel, verse 20 at Thyatira. Mm -hmm. There was a Jezebel and he was giving her space to repent and she didn't repent and here's what he's going to do to her. But there are some of you who haven't fallen for this. There are some of you in this church who <coughs> are on the straight and narrow. I'm going to put no further burden on you. Go ahead and read 3 verse 4 just for one more example. Okay. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. But wait, what did it say about the church in Sardis in verse 1? Last of verse 1. I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive but you are dead. Yeah, that was not a good church. That was a church that needed a lot of work. But there were some faithful people in it. Verse 4. You have a few names even in Sardis which haven't defiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. I wish everybody could go to a church like the West Huntsville Church of Christ and I know that many of you do. Many of you have faithful leaders who are determined that they're going to keep the church pure, they're practicing discipline, they're encouraging people, they're meeting with people and, and the, the members of the body in, in general are, are strong and faithful people. I love that about where I worship. I love that. But you know, there are some of you who are struggling. You find yourselves in situations where leaders are not what they should be sometimes and where uh, sin has elbowed its way in. There are Jezebels or there are those who have left their first love. And what he says here, there are a few names even in this church who haven't defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, the same will be clothed. In. It's like mm -hmm. he said it twice. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Take comfort. If you are trying to be faithful in an area in which it is very difficult to be faithful, take comfort and realize that if you're not defiling your garments, that you're going to walk with him in white because you're worthy. Does that mean you're perfect? No, it means because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be found worthy. Let's close with our comments. Do we have more comments? Um, this is uh, just going back to some of the points that we passed. Uh, Tanya points out Hebrews 11 and Moses about the fleeting pleasures of sin, uh, grace, 
uh, says the prodigal son had a change of heart and attitude. Uh, Teresa, he came to himself realizing where you are in relation to God. Uh, Teresa, is there a scripture that says the thief repented? Um, and then she also asked, so baptism was after Jesus died on the cross? Exactly. And the, the, there is no, the word repent is not associated with um, the thief on the cross in Luke 23. That, it, that word is not used. But he obviously repented of the lifestyle that he had been living because he he would you know he didn't have that pride before before jesus anymore he said jesus is he recognized that jesus was right. the son of god right. he he confessed that by saying he is not guilty right. because that was the charge against jesus was blasphemy and claiming that he was the son of god and he said he's not guilty he bowed before the sovereignty of god in a way that caused Jesus to say, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus obviously deemed his heart submissive and penitent. But her next question is, so baptism was after the death of Jesus. Well, listen to um, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So, yes, baptism, we can't be baptized into his death if his death had not occurred. Baptism, John's baptism, was for the remission of sins, but it was not, it's not a valid baptism today because it wasn't into the death of Jesus. We have to be cleansed by the blood. Without the blood, there is no remission. And so it is after the death of Jesus that baptism became the requirement for putting us into Christ. Galatians 3, no, Galatians, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, says that's how we put on Christ, is by being baptized into Christ. And when we do that, we put on Christ. Can you be saved without putting him on? No, we can't be saved without putting him on. We can't be saved without being baptized into his death. And it is baptism. That is the point at which we contact the, blood. the precious blood of Jesus. Now, if there is someone listening, and I can help you to understand this, I would love to communicate with you by Facebook, by email. You just um, contact me, and my contact information is there, right there on my blog where we where you read, where you get this study. I would love to study with anyone who is in any way concerned that they are not cleansed by the blood that's offered through, the, through baptism, in baptism, for the remission of sins. I would love to study that with you because there's nothing more important. If you're spiritually, <coughs> spiritually sane, if you have come to yourself, as did the prodigal son, there is nothing that will stop you. There is no pride. There is no obstacle that will stop you from doing his will as it is revealed in his testament, the New Testament that came into effect when he died. So I would love that opportunity. Is there anything else on there? Uh, um, um, is it Lisa? 
um, echoed pretty much what you had mentioned. Even if he wasn't baptized by John, J Jesus had all power on earth. He had the power to save any, he said, example, before the cross, the man who was brought to Jesus by friends and let down through the roof. Correct. Anything else? Okay, we're going to bow and... We will um, assemble again for this video podcast. There will be some audio podcasts. There's already been one for January. There will be three more of those. And then we'll assemble back again on January 31st, which is the last Tuesday of this month, for our discussion, our first discussion about escaping with the providence of God. And Danae Cantor has agreed to do that with me. Please keep Danae in your prayers. She was supposed to be with us tonight, but uh, she has illness in her house that she really needs to... Um, they really need to get well because she needs to go take care of someone else who's sick in her family. So we'll keep her in our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we are, as always, so humbled and so grateful that we, as a large group of your women here on this earth, large, relatively speaking, we get to come and assemble around your word words from you the almighty creator and we have everything that we need you have equipped us thoroughly for every good work you've also equipped us thoroughly to battle the devil and we are so thankful that you have empowered us not with the miraculous today not with something mysterious that we do spiritual battle with, but with your word. You have given us the ability to be victorious, not through our own devices or our own doing, but through the blood of Jesus, your son. And we're thankful for the concept of repentance but more than that we're thankful for the practicality of it that it allows us to leave behind destruction and dirtiness and to be living lives in purity and lives that will help us to bring up children who can be fulfilled and happy and eternally secure we are so thankful for the great salvation that we have in your son Jesus help us not to try to circumvent any part of the plan because father we realize if we can circumvent the plan that you've put into place that we are uh, blaspheming really against you and there remains no more sacrifice for sin if we reject the plan that you've given us help us father to humble ourselves always in your sight we pray for Danae's family and all the families that are sick we realize that there are so many people who have influenza right now that it is it's very serious. And we pray, Father, that soon through your providence this um, almost epidemic can be stopped. And we pray for those who are struggling now because it is a difficult struggle. We're thankful, Father, for the strength that you give us in the loss of life and we know there are many who are struggling with this and we're thankful for the new life that we see around us and we're especially thankful for the collie baby that we found out about in recent days and for the solely baby 
and for others in your family all around the world who have been blessed to know that babies are on the way and we pray that you'll help mothers and daddies to realize the grave responsibility when eternal souls have been brought into existence and we pray that you will help us father to realize that as mothers and grandmothers we can affect the future of your kingdom and that we can father what if through digging deep we really can affect strength in your kingdom around this world but we know that it wouldn't be us that it would be your power and your might and that you can do anything and help us never to lose sight of that father we pray that you will help us to have faith as a mustard seed and help us to never lose sight of the fact that we serve you and help us to never um, renege on our allegiance to you but we promise you father that we're going to serve you all the days of our lives and we want to have heaven we want to be reunited with those people that we love who have gone on we want to have heaven we want to praise you forever and we we pray that we could bring our children and grandchildren with us in jesus name we pray amen amen If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. This is a Digging Deep in God's Word production, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.